Paul was saying, with all that I've endured for Jesus, if there is no resurrection and heavenly reward, you know, in, in serving him and beyond this life, then I am a fool to be pitied. So you can see how the importance of the truth of the resurrection is. It's one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, that Jesus rose from the dead in a resurrected body, body the way that the Bible says that he did, and it is truly good news for those of us who believe. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. His desire that he wants to use us in our lives, to please him, to use us in ministry, then we respond out of a heart of love. And great is the day when a Christian realizes that, God, you use me in spite of me. I don't deserve this ministry. But you have been so good to me and have blessed me and you've blessed my family and you can't help as you're just at awe at his love and goodness and faithfulness. You can't help but respond out of love and just saying, Lord, I want to do the work of the Lord for you. You see, when that finally sinks in, and that is by one man, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was buried and rose again according to the scriptures, by Jesus came righteousness, justification, and grace then I'm going to stop striving to prove that I am a notch or two above you. Or I'm going to be critical because you're a notch or two below me. And when I begin to understand this incredible grace that Paul's talking about, that he had been a recipient of, that I start becoming a worshiper. Because the Lord, the one thing that I do deserve, and that is hell to be separated from you. I did a good job in deserving that because I sinned. And it is your son who came and died for me that I might have forgiveness of sin, that I might come in faith and then have that righteous standing before the Father through Jesus Christ alone. But if I find myself trying to earn blessing by intensive prayer and Bible study and long fasts, I'm not saying those things are bad. But this is what can happen. My Christian life and experience and walk will always be one of analyzing and scrutinizing and criticizing and all of this. And I end up condemning myself and others. So grace is not dependent upon my deep knowledge of, you know, the scriptures, 24-hour prayer chain, all those things, but it is dependent upon one thing, and that is the goodness and love of God. And you know what will happen? When we understand that and get it down into our hearts, and I'll tell you the truth on this, this is what will happen. You'll pray more. And you'll serve more. And you'll read your Bible more. And you'll enjoy the Lord more. Listen, don't forget this, that the works that I do are in response to what God has done for me. Listen, the works that I do are in response to what God has done for me. And Paul being a recipient of God's grace, his response to that grace, 
He says, I labor more abundantly than all the rest of the apostles. And it was Jesus that said, didn't he, that he who is forgiven much loves much. It's a response out of love that Paul had this incredible, increasing love for God that says, oh, it's a love of Christ that constrains me and motivates me. And it's the same with you and with me because of the wonderful grace that we have received. And so verse 12, as we continue, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Paul was taking time to prove the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, ask the witnesses that saw the resurrected Lord. Here's a record of those witnesses, which doesn't include Mary and the other women that saw him. So Paul proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ, giving evidence for it, and it isn't because the Corinthian Christians believed Jesus did not rise from the dead. In fact, he makes it very clear. Verse 11, I draw attention to that again. As he writes, so we preached, so you believed. So they did believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The problem was is that some of the believers were denying their own resurrection. There was, was confusion that was taking place in the church at Corinth. And the reason was, as I mentioned to you, they were influenced by Greek philosophy that considered the resurrection to be undesirable. There was a doctrine that was going through the early church that was called dualism that said that Christ was divine, but he wasn't human. He appeared to be human, but he really didn't die physically. And of course, that isn't according to the scriptures, but that's how they got around this whole issue of not believing in the resurrection. So we also know that there are those who had believed that the resurrection already took place. So there was all this confusion in the early church with the Corinthians. They were adopting more of the Greek philosophy that, you know, Jesus rose from the grave, but it's not really desirable for us. There is no resurrection. We know from the scriptures Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. He physically lived and died and rose again. So Paul continues to make his case here, verse 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not rise up, if in fact the dead did not rise. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. If there is no resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then Paul and the other apostles have been preaching in vain. If there's no real resurrected Jesus, then our labor is in vain. Secondly, if Christ is not risen, then we are false witnesses of God, and we apostles, we are liars in the message that we are proclaiming. And thirdly, if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. That is, it is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Now, this is interesting. In the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, it tells about the Day of Atonement where the high priest was to lay aside his garments, his priestly robes. All those priestly robes that you read about in the book of Exodus. The, the, the breastplate, the, the ephod, the mitre around his head. And he would go in on that day behind the veil into a room called the Holy of Holies. And that's where he would make atonement for the sins of the nation. He would go in on that day behind the veil where the Shekinah glory of God was, wearing simple linen clothes. And he, as he went into what was called the Holy of Holies, or the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle, 
the high priest would sprinkle the blood there on the mercy seat, which was on top of, top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now the people would be waiting outside. They would be wondering, did the atonement take? Did, did it really work? Is the high priest going to emerge? Because you see, if the high priest himself was defiled or polluted, he wasn't dealt with properly, then he would be smitten dead. It was a very awesome, serious thing to enter into the Holy of Holies where the tangible presence of God was. So you know what they would do? It is told that what they would do to the high priest is they would tie an ang- a rope around his ankle, ankle. So he would go in behind his veil with this rope tied around his leg because if he fell down, all of a sudden they heard a thud, the priest in the other room. He was smitten dead. No one dare go behind that veil into the Holy of Holies because God said if anybody enters into the Holy of Holies besides the high priest, they will be smitten dead. So they would pull the high priest out. That was the whole idea of that. So the people would be wondering, is the high priest going to emerge? Did the atonement really take? And so the high priest, when he did emerge from the Holy of Holies, he would come out and he would say, forgiven. And the people would shout, amen, excellent. It took, the offering took, because the high priest emerged. Well, you can see the wonderful picture of what Hebrews calls our great high priest, Jesus Christ, wrapped in linen, placed in the tomb, and all of heaven is wondering, all of history is wondering, did the offering take? Did what Jesus Christ, in claiming that he died for our sins, is that validated by him coming forth from the grave? And he did. He came forth from the grave after three days, just as he said he would, and he says to you and to me this morning, forgiven, forgiven, I'm alive. So we have reason to celebrate this morning because we have forgiveness of sin and we have the hope of heaven that is before us and we know that he rose from the grave and if he did not rise from the grave, if there was no resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Paul is saying we have no hope. We might as well just all go home. We have no reason to celebrate, to gather. We might as well just sell the building. And never meet again because our faith is in vain. We're still in our sins. So Paul's saying in verse 18, if there's no resurrection, then the dead in Christ are gone forever. Verse 19, the whole Christian life is a pitiful joke. Paul was saying, with all that I've endured for Jesus, if there is no resurrection and heavenly reward, you know, in, in serving him and beyond this life, then I am a fool to be pitied. So you can see how the importance of the truth of the resurrection is. It's one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, that Jesus rose from the dead in a resurrected body, body, the way that the Bible says that he did, and it is truly good news for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ dying for our sins and rising from the grave. You see, the divinity of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. The sovereignty of Jesus rests on the resurrection of Jesus, Romans chapter 14, verse 9. Our justification rests on the resurrection of Jesus, Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Our regeneration rests on the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And our ultimate resurrection rests on the resurrection of Jesus, and that's what Paul is declaring to us here in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers in 1800, said this, that, quote, the fact is, is that the silver thread of the resurrection runs through all the blessings from regeneration onwards to our eternal glory and binds them together, unquote. 
So Paul now is going to explain and start to explain about our resurrection in verses 20 onward. We do read in verse 20, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are in Christ at his coming. So Paul says that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. It's look at the witnesses, go and ask them. It's the most fundamental fact of our lives, of the history of the world. And since it is a fact that he rose, it now guarantees the bodily resurrection to all who believe. Because our resurrection is tied in with his resurrection. The first fruits of the resurrection is Christ Jesus. Now it's interesting, in Leviticus chapter 23, again, back to the Old Testament, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there the people of God were to bring an offering of the first fruits of the barley harvest. The Feast of First Fruits was observed on the day after the Sabbath following Passover. So the Jews were commanded to bring a sheet of grain, the first of the harvest, to the priest, who would then wave it before the Lord. Now think with me. When did Jesus rise from the dead? On the exact day of the Feast of First Fruits. The day after the Sabbath following the Passover, the first day of the week. The offering of Feast of First Fruits was a bloodless grain offering according to Leviticus chapter 23. So no atoning sacrifice was necessary because the Passover lamb had just been sacrificed. So it corresponds, corresponds very beautifully with the resurrection of Jesus because his death ended the need for sacrifice. Jesus Christ died for our sins once and for all, as we discover in the book of Hebrews. It makes that point very clear. The sacrifices of the Old Testament for sin of the animals, of bulls and goats, wasn't enough. It had to be done over and over and over again. Jesus Christ died for us once and for all. So he provided the perfect and complete atonement. And Paul explains that. By man came death. By Jesus Christ comes the resurrection of the dead. All of mankind was brought under death by one man, and that was Adam. Do we understand that, folks? It's very important that we do understand that. Because Paul would reiterate that again in Romans chapter 4 verses 12 and onward. He says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. So the word of God says this, that it is through Adam came what? Sin and death, right? So a little side note, and then I'm going to move on. That's why I don't buy into evolution. And there are more and more Christians that are saying, well, evolution took place and there has to be evolution. That's what scientists are selling us and all of this. It's a time for another study, but the scripture is very clear here in 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans chapter 5. When did death come? It came when Adam sinned. You see, when God told Adam, don't eat of that tree, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And, and I imagine Adam's kind of sitting there going, what does that mean? Because I've never seen death. He didn't know what it meant. It's when Adam sinned. That's what brought sin into the world. That's what brought death into the world. So if you believe in that evolutionary processes came and then there was Adam, that what you're saying is God brought death into the world. 
Uh-uh. The scripture says that it was Adam. So please think this through before you think, Pastor Jeff, you're just kind of a crazy old preacher, you know, that holds on to old thought. So it's important that we believe what God's word has to say. And so what Paul is declaring that when one man at one moment, that is Adam sinned in the garden, the fallout and the death affected all humanity. When Adam sinned in the garden, sin entered the world. One man's work had repercussion for all humanity. Death entered the world. Condemnation entered the world. And sin continually enters the world. But Jesus Christ, which Paul will later call the last Adam, comes life through him, the forgiveness of sin. Through Adam's sin, man died spiritually and became subject to death bodily. Likewise, through Christ, believers are given life spiritually, and we're going to be raised bodily. So when is this going to happen? Well, verse 23 tells us, each one in his own order, Christ being the first fruits after those who are in Christ at his coming. So Jesus was first to resurrect. Now people will say, well, what about when he resurrected Lazarus in John chapter 11? Or the widow at name, her son? Or what about Jairus' daughter? Well, they were resurrected after they were dead, but they were to die again. Jesus was to resurrect, the first to resurrect, never to die again. So truly, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, this is where I don't want you to be confused. So just kind of tune in for a minute because we're talking about the resurrection. Remember, the resurrection is not just talking about eternal life, but it's talking about eternal life in a new glorified body. That's what we're going to talk about more specifically next week as Paul will continue. We're going to get new heavenly bodies because these bodies are going to wear out eventually. And they're going to be you know, done away with. So one of the things I was explaining to my relatives when we were at the graveside, when my dad died, that dad, his remains here, going to be put into the ground. But dad is with the Lord. Because Second Corinthians clearly declares that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When a Christian dies, immediately they go into the presence of Jesus. It was Paul in Philippians, remember he said, hey, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this imprisonment alive, and I'm kind of torn between the, the, the two opinions, whether I should you know, continue to be with you, if that would be best. It would be best for you, but I know for me, if I was beheaded by Caesar Nero at this time, to be present with the Lord would be better. So he knew that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But there's going to be a day at Christ's coming, he says, that in order this when our bodies are going to be then raised up, that which is corruptible, the incorruptible. And we're going to have new heavenly bodies. So there's a process in order that's going to take place at the rapture of the church. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will meet the Lord in the air. Then there is the tribulation saints, those who are believers in the tribulation, the Old Testament saints, at the end of the tribulation period, when we know when Christ comes back. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 talks about the Old Testament saints. What about those in the millennium period that are going to be living? They're going to have new resurrected bodies as well. So that's all part of the process of the resurrection. And in Revelation chapter 20 calls it the first resurrection. So Christ being the first to be resurrected, first fruits, and then each one in his order at the coming of Christ. Now there is a second resurrection that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. You don't want to be a part of the second resurrection because that is the resurrection of the unrighteous dead, those who are not in Christ, non-believers. 
That will take place at the end of the thousand-year reign, the millennium reign of Christ. It is called the great white throne judgment of God. John saw the throne of God. The books were opened. Death and hell's Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they all stood before God, and they were judged according to the things written in the books. So there is the first resurrection, the resurrection, Christ being the first fruits, and then all in their order that are going to be with Christ, and then the second resurrection, those of the unrighteous dead that are going to be resurrected. So everybody's going to be resurrected, but we are going to be part of the first resurrection. Jesus would say in John chapter 5, that don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection and condemnation. And then as we finish quickly this morning, verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So Paul telling us that the resurrection of Jesus leads to the resolution of all things. God will reign supremely without enemy, without challenge. So Christ conquers every enemy of God. That's good news. Verse 25, he's put all enemies under his feet. You know, back in ancient times, it was a common practice. If you were a king and emperor, you'd sit on your throne and you'd sit up above everyone. And then when your subjects came in, that they would bow to you. And if you were an enemy bowing before the king, you were below his feet. And what he would do is take his feet and he would put it on the back of the neck of the enemy or the general that had been conquered, whoever it might be. And it was a picture of that you are now subject to me. And so that's where this comes from. So God's sovereign plan is going to be fulfilled where all the enemy of God, everything that is at enmity with God, is going to be subject to him, put under his feet, and death is going to be defeated. It has been defeated. But eventually, it will come to a resolution of all where death is going to be put under his feet. Death is an enemy. I have heard pastors at funerals say, embrace death as a friend. You know, Psalm 116 tells us that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, but I don't think that death is really a, a friend. And I think we see that in John chapter 11. Remember Jesus when he came to the town of Mary and he was going to rise or raise Lazarus from the grave? He knew he was going to raise him from the grave, but yet Jesus wept, didn't he? He groaned in the spirit. Why? I think the answer is, is because I think he was troubled at death itself. It's an enemy. We can now rejoice because death is a defeated enemy because of the work of Jesus. And death one day is finally just going to disappear from the earth when it comes to the end of the ages. And that's something that we can rejoice in and I'm looking so forward to. I want to close with this. That you and I, we have the promise of the resurrection of those of us who believe in Christ Jesus, that he died for our sins and he rose again on the third day. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we know that at Christ's coming, there's going to be a day when we're going to receive those new heavenly bodies. And so we are going to have those heavenly bodies for all of eternity. We have reason to rejoice this morning, don't we? But there is that other resurrection that will take place, the unrighteous dead. 
at the end of the millennium reign of Christ Jesus, at the great white throne judgment, where they will be judged for their sins because they didn't come to Jesus who took the judgment for you and for me. My prayer this morning, if there's anybody that is here in the sanctuary or out in the coffee shop, that if you were to die today, you don't know if you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. You don't know if you're going to be resurrected unto everlasting life. You don't know if you're going to be part of the second. You're not sure. Then I want you to know that with your heart you can cry out to God. And the promise of Scripture is, is those who believe in Him have the promise of eternal life. As you surrender your heart to Him, He is our hope, Jesus Christ, who died for you. Because through one man, that is Adam, came sin and death. But through the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came life. Comes life to you and me who believe. Open your heart to Him. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And we have that same hope that we too will rise to be with Him for all eternity. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.